Blog Talk Radio. Throughout history, man has seen large, hairy bipeds stalking the forests and canyons of the world. What is it that has captured the fear and excitement of so many people? Is it the boogeyman? Or more likely, an undiscovered species habitating our most remote wilderness? Join us now for our quest into the mystery of the Sasquatch, also known as Bigfoot. Welcome to Squatch Detective Radio. Cyberspace, welcome to Squatch Detective Radio for today's date, Sunday, January 30th, 2011, and I am your host, your guide, the Squatch Detective, Steve Coles, along with, well, what can we say about this guy we haven't said before? No, he wasn't the streaker that streaked a bomb in Philadelphia. No, he's just one of our good friends in Kentucky. The one, the only, Chris. <laughs> Thank you for that warm welcome, Steve. <laughs> uh, we had a had a nice warm day here today in Kentucky, man. It was uh, kind of squishy out there, though. I got out in the woods a little earlier today and and decided uh, not to go too far because uh, uh, the old feet weighed about six pounds uh, with the mud that was sticking to them. But uh, everything's been going pretty good in Kentucky. How's things going in New York, man? Well, cold, man, cold. Uh- <laughs> I uh, got out of work this morning. There was another inch of snow on the car, and uh, oh, but it was no. that light, it was that light, fluffy stuff. Uh, oh yeah. So, you know, you open up your door, you close it, and you know the snow's off the side of your car. <laughs> oh, we, we we got a vacation from winter. I mean, it was in the, in the fifties today, but uh, it's been so cold and everything's been froze up. The ground is just mush. <laughs> And of course, we're getting that new cold snap coming up real soon as well. So, um, boy, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be in the uh, 
negative numbers uh, by midweek here again, and uh, you know you know how that is. Um, but anyway, we we have so much to talk about tonight. Of course, we're, we're, tonight's guest will be uh, uh, author and researcher from uh, Los Angeles. That will be Lee Murphy, and he'll be on in a, in a couple of minutes. And um, but uh, my goodness, uh, got a, got a couple of. Uh, uh, well, should we do the program notes or the news first? Let's do the program notes. Of course, next week there will be no show because it's Super Bowl forty-five as the Steelers of Pittsburgh take on the Packers of Green Bay. You know, that should be a very interesting uh, uh, competition. I was listening to Frank Caliendo yesterday doing uh, George W. Bush, and and uh, <laughs> he, you know, he was asked, uh, GW was asked, uh, you know, who would win the Super Bowl, and he's like, well, you know, I, I think I'll, I'll take uh, the Green Bay Packers or the Steelers. But so that should be very entertaining, of course. Uh, we will return on February 13th. We had Bobby uh, Bobby uh, short lined up, but due to circumstances beyond her control and our control, uh, Bobby's appearance is going to be uh, postponed to a later date. Uh, we're probably looking at a couple of months down the road after that. And uh, Chris Bennett, uh, we may have uh, who, who do we do we have a confirmation on that yet or not? Not yet. Let's just let's just leave it open right. for right now. All right. I'm, I'm pretty sure. But, but, uh, We'll wait and make sure we get confirmed. And we're working on, uh, well, Chris is working on it. And the reason why Chris is working on it is because most likely February 13th, I will not be here. We do have a special co-host lined up for us on the 13th and possibly the 20th as well because uh, Steve O'Hare is going to be, well, I'm going to be out of the country. And um, if all goes well, uh, I'll, I'll have a lot to talk about. When I return, uh, I, I won't talk about what I'm doing over there because it's going to be a, uh, I, I will say this, it's going to be a documentary, and uh, I am going abroad to do it, so uh, very exciting stuff going on. So I, I will probably not be not back after this show until uh, almost a month, uh, uh, February 27th. So uh, it's going to be a little time off for me, kind of, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. We're looking forward to your time away from the show, Steve. <laughs> oh, Chris got me. Yeah, yeah Chris got me. <clears throat> but, uh, hey, uh, why don't we uh, take this time to bring on our guest. He's author and researcher, resides in Los Angeles, California, in case people are wondering where Los Angeles exactly is. He's uh, written such books as, I want to say the book is named Wygor, Where Legends Roam, Nitaka, and Heretofore Unknown. And it's the one, the only, Lee Murphy. Lee, good evening to you, sir. Hi, Steve. Hi, Chris. How are you guys doing? We are doing just wonderful. Good. Good. So. Good. Glad to hear it. So, I can sympathize with you guys about the winters. Uh, we got slammed pretty hard today. Had about 15 minutes of rain. The temperature dropped <laughs> to like 68. Before we One of my friends on Facebook mentioned the other day, I guess he, I think he lives in Connecticut. Uh, he talked about having an ice dam on his roof, and I threw the same thing at him about, boy, do I know about winter hardships. And you know, gave the same <laughs> spiel, too. I don't know why people don't return oh. my phone calls. But, uh. Well, you know, it's a funny thing. <clears throat> you know, I bet you we get Lee out here, give him a shovel, he'll look at us and go, how do you use this? 
Uh, uh, hey, where's terrible. the batteries go? Where's the batteries go in this thing? Um, <laughs> you don't know how correct you are. Uh, yeah. Well. Well. <laughs> well. Anywho, uh, um, Chris. Oh, uh, yeah, Chris. Um, uh, I, I got to ask Chris a quick question. What what has been the coldest day this year for you? The coldest, I think, was about five degrees so far. And and, and Lee, what was the the, the coldest day for you? Oh, boy, we're probably, I don't know, lately we've been in a warm spell. I mean, the temperature dropped today, and we are are getting a lot of rain today, but the past few days it's been like spring. Um, Probably dropped down to maybe the 50s at the Mm. lowest. <laughs> All right, and right now I stand on record at minus ten where I live, and at minus twenty eight where I work. So, oh, no. oh it was, you know, you get to a certain point, it's just all numb. But anyway, uh, Lee, I was going to ask you, how in the world did you get involved uh, with all this Bigfoot stuff? Oh man, well, I, you know, I pretty much it's kind of the same story as as so many others tell. I mean, uh, I just grew up with a fascination of it, you know. Um, for instance, I think my first real exposure to it was probably The Legend of Boggy Creek, uh, the film, because I remember when that came out, I was probably about, I think I was about eight years old, eight or nine years old. And, of course, you know, the way they advertise it, you know, it's a true monster story. So, of course, you know, where you come from, I come from. The idea of real monsters being around, of course, is just too good a, a notion to pass up. And so I made my parents take me to see it when it came out, and, of course, I was convinced, and then, of course, you just kind of stay on that path, and then you, you read the literature that comes out from researchers, uh, not just, for instance, John Green, but like people like Roy Mackle and Lauren Coleman and others that, that cover really the whole pantheon of cryptozoology in general. Okay. Now, uh, when, uh, now, now, you've actually been out there investigating yourself, have you not? Not in depth like most organizations mm-hmm. do. Uh Mostly, the furthest I've gone was uh, a few days up in Northern California with some friends, right? But not really any in in depth research, field research. Okay. Um, now you were on, uh, and of course we were talking about this before the show, where you were on uh, on um, Southern Fried Bigfoot and uh, with Sean yeah. mm-hmm. Whitley, and uh, that was that was a great great little thing. I want to plug that. That documentary again, um, just a great, mm-hmm. great show. And if anybody's wants to hear about Sean Whitley, check out the archives. The show is there. It's just uh, very well, well done. And of course, uh, it yeah. featured uh, not only did it feature our, our Lee here, but it also featured Craig Wellheater. And uh, um, uh, help me out, Chris. I'm kind of uh, I'm getting a case of CRS. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good documentary. Uh, it, it's still playing on the documentary channel. If you have a, uh, what is it, uh, one of the satellite dishes like Dish Network, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't have your local, if you don't have a documentary channel on your local cable access, ask for it, you know. But uh, also the DVD is available for sale, and you know I don't have the, I don't have the website off the top of my head. I think it's available on Amazon as well. Yes, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now. Uh, Lee, it's not going to be hard, but but um, uh, your your books now. Did you actually uh, uh, the characters and some of these storylines? Where did you come? You know, like, like for example, uh, tell us about your latest book. Let's let's do that. Well, that's that's it's actually uh, it's called Igor, which is the uh, it's okay. kind of the first person told first person by uh, Doctor Frankenstein's deformed lab assistant, 
And so it's kind of a biography, or in his case, autobiography, because he's telling the story to the reader. And it's it's a retelling of the Frankenstein saga, but uh, the story and the characters are actually completely original. So you won't you won't read in it anything that's been previously done in the Frankenstein tradition, uh, as far as the characters or anything. It's it's kind of uh, basically the idea came to me. I was at a friend's house several years ago, and he had this huge black cat walk into the room. And he and I were both into horror films and monsters and things. So we were talking, and this huge black cat comes walking into the room while we're talking. And he says, oh, that's Igor. And, of course, to me it was instant name recognition, and and the thought occurred to me. Nobody had ever really done an in-depth story from his perspective, telling it with him as a real human being and his emotions and things. So it basically chronicles the four-year relationship between him and the doctor uh, up to the point of creating the monster. So the monster doesn't really even come into the story till near the end, and, and that doesn't ruin anything for the people that might want to read it. Sure. But it, it's a character story with, with a lot of horror elements to it, and so so there are some gruesome moments and things. But uh, basically it's just about the story between him and the doctor. The doctor is uh, bipolar, uh, self-medicating with alcohol, uh, horribly abusive, and also capable of great kindness, uh, to Igor throughout the course of the story, and so it, it just kind of maps their relationship through the the, the four year journey from when the Doctor first comes to the castle in the mountains to the creation and uh, production of the various attempts at the machine that will that will you know bring his experiment to final fruition to the actual manifestation of what he calls the new man, which of course is the monster. Very nice. So, and uh, we can get this on uh, Amazon, or is there another site you can get them on? Uh, Amazon's the, been the best so far. Okay. Now, you have, uh, I, I believe, at least one book out there um, on on, on our, our hairy friend, do you not? Kind of a fiction book? On which one? Uh, on, uh, do you have any Squatch books? In particular, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, my first my first novel, uh, where Legends Roam, is about. Yep. Uh, it's it's also the introductory uh, story that introduces George Kodiak, the character that I use in all my cryptozoology novels, uh, where they go after the Sasquatch. Uh, he's basically hired by a uh, a billionaire who owns a private zoo in Arizona, who who is based on a real guy. Some of the stuff that I wrote in that novel are, is based on this real person from years and years ago. And uh, basically he believes the Sasquatch is a real animal and he wants one for his zoo. So he backs them on a, you know, a well-financed expedition and they go after it. I tried to base the information on as much research as was available at the time. Um, The animals are portrayed as animals and uh, the monsters in the story are of the human variety. And that's where the conflict and such comes from too, is the human characters. Now, Chris, you have any other questions? Fire away. Yeah, yeah. I wanted I wanted to talk about uh, the cryptozoologist character uh, George Kodiak that you created. Lee, mm-hmm. uh, is this uh, George Kodiak? This this guy is he uh, your idea of what a cryptozoologist should be, or uh, not really? Only only because he's you know he's he's really probably not a particularly realistically drawn character as far as. Yeah. You know, if you were to put him in real life, he's, I don't want to say he's as extreme as, say, a comic book character, but, like, you might say, like, what Dirty Harry is to cops, he would be to cryptozoologists. So, I, go, and, and yet, go I, ahead. I go <laughs> ahead. Make my squatch. Anyway. <laughs> and, uh, so, so, so maybe a little rough around the, the edges then. Right, yeah, and 
although I have I've met people that that um in the field of since having created him that that do I think capture some of the better qualities of the character which which I've been really impressed to see in you know in individuals that I've met and have come to know. And so I know in a lot of ways he 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 has a basis in reality that way. But overall he's he's an adventure character um basically the kind that is is unrealistic in the sense that he really knows no fear or things like that and especially right. coming from me I'm probably the biggest coward you'll ever meet so that's completely <laughs> the antithesis of myself well you know, cool. you know you you know uh, just a little little Clint trivia uh Clint Eastwood trivia there um you know uh, uh make my day was not his first catchphrase in the dirty harry series I right. do realize that. You know which oh, yeah. one it was? Which, which one was it? Do you it? feel lucky? Yeah, that's right. Lucky. In um, all this excitement, I don't know if I've tried, fired five or six shots. Do you feel lucky, Chupacabra, or don't you? Um, um, well, you know, the the killer in that first movie, The uh, yeah, I know he was based on the um, the Zodiac killer, Scorpio, I think his name yes. was. Yes. Uh, the actor that played him was great. You know, And I, I remember the end of the movie when Harry gives him that speech. And, uh, you know, he, he suddenly breaks out into laughter and jumps for his gun, which, of course, turns out to be a, a tragic mistake. And uh, what's funny is if you watch him laugh, he laughs just like Barney Rubble just before he gets killed. <laughs> and I hope I'm not ruining the movie for anybody in case anybody <laughs> on Earth hasn't seen it. <laughs> uh, oh, my goodness. But, uh, you know, that actor did uh, – the, the one movie I remember, recall seeing that actor playing uh, – he actually played a cop. In um, that Stallone movie, what the heck was it? Cobra. Cobra. Yeah, I remember that. That's racist. <laughs> Talk about useless movie trivia. <laughs> oh man, yeah, and he, of course he was the uptight cop that that just hated him, and you know for all the results he got and everything. And I remember that very well, mostly because I recognized him as the guy from Dirty Harry. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think he played Liberace in a in a TV biography once too. He looks a lot like Liberace. Yes, I wish my brother George was here. Anyway, <laughs> how many people remember that? Um, <laughs> oh boy, we've gone off on a tangent. Well, yes, you know what? I I, I was going to uh, <clears throat> a couple of interesting things. Um, uh, I was going to kind of bring you in after the news, but I wanted to bring you in actually before the news um, because if people haven't seen the latest news, and I think um, um, uh, Chris is nowhere knows where I'm going right now. It's uh, <laughs> this is this is kind of funny. Um, it's something we've we've I, I still holding back a lot of information on it, and, and I have my reasons for doing it. But um, uh, the ongoing saga with Bigfoot Ballyhoo, and I don't know if you're aware of, of this web uh, this blog that's out there, uh, Lee. Uh, but in this uh, November of 2009, there was this blog put out by this. Basically, she wrote children's uh, Bigfoot fiction books. And she was putting all these wild claims on this blog. And she had this whole team, and she had pictures of these guys. And none of the stuff seemed to add up. Well, a few weeks ago, thanks to an alert tipster, somebody had supplied me with a, another picture of this guy, but saying that, hey, you know what, this this is, is not, this, this is him, but it's not really him. So we do a lot of background on it and everything, and what it turns out is that there's three members on this team, and we know who two of them are, and they're not who she's saying they are, and they have nothing to do with Bigfoot at all, and we know who they are, 
And, uh, well, uh, if anybody's been catching the news, uh, yesterday, um, or it could have even been early as um, Friday night, but uh, Linda Newton-Perry has vowed not to blog anymore until the ESP team can prove who they are. So... So uh, and there has been there has been no post on that blog in over 24 hours, and that's a miracle. A miracle. Um, Good riddance. Yep. But uh, but we do have that information, and we're 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 still putting that in form, and we're going to wait about a month or so to see if she decides to say anything otherwise. And um, you know what? If she will, if she's willing to go on the offensive, it'll probably while well, I'll be out of the country and not in the loop, and I'll come back to this mess. And that's. Well, <laughs> I think the main thing that Miss Perry needs needs to learn, Steve, is you don't go up up against a private investigator. You you do not do that. Well, because there's uh, no way you you cannot hide everything. You know. Well, you know what? I will. I'll be the first one to say that um, that there was no private investigation skills used, um, and there was more journalistic skills used than anything else. Uh, getting tips, working the tips, uh, you know, networking your, if you want to call it affiliates, or networking some people that can do things for you which you cannot. And when it all got put together in a nice little package, it, it proved without a reason. It proved beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt that uh, the the ESP team is nothing but a hoax. And uh, that was that. Well, so, I think Joe uh, Boggles my mind. mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, just, just some amazing stuff. And, you know, we're finding uh, that, you know, just, just other things. And I, I won't even get into it, but let's roll on. So, yeah. Lee, what's your take on this whole uh, Bigfoot mystery? Well, I'm I'm convinced that it is a real animal. You know, I mean, it, there's just to me the evidence is just overwhelming. And then you know what's what's even more interesting is you meet someone like Bob Gimlin, who and everyone that I've talked to that's met him uh, comes comes away with a feeling of like you just you just know he's authentic. There there's just something about him. You get the very clear impression that this is a truthful man. I mean, every single person, even people that that still don't believe the Patterson film is is legitimate. They'll come away from meeting him, and they'll say, "You know, now I'm on the fence about it, or, or I, I don't get it. I, I really believe him, or I, you know." And and so I just think there's too much of that going on. Um, again, it's a, it's a worldwide thing. I don't see how you can have so much consistent evidence worldwide. You know, it, it just makes ri- ri- the idea is ridiculous that the, that it's not something of reality. I think the question anymore is, you know, is what is it? Um, when I'm, I, I look at uh, all these things from two perspectives. As a, as a writer of fiction, I like to go with what makes, hopefully, a, a satisfying adventure. So, like for instance, in my first book, uh, I use Gigantopithecus as the candidate for for the Sasquatch. Um, outside of that, my mind is more skeptical, you know. And so, um, honestly, I wouldn't know what I I, I kind of lean towards Gigantopithecus as the as the best candidate, but we have no way of knowing until something is found, you know, and and um, until then it's really a wide-open field of whatever it could be. Mm-hmm. It may even be something we never knew existed in the fossil record. You know, anything's possible. But I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced it's a, it's a real animal, um, whether it's a throwback to, to an ancestral homo species or, or, uh, or an ape species, I guess is really the big question now being debated by people. 
Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, There's been a lot of uh, a lot of debate about uh, uh, whether they could be uh, uh, some sort of relation to Neanderthal or uh, or Gigantopithecus. Exactly, yeah. I, I think it, personally, I think it's closer to some sort of descendant from Gigantopithecus myself. Well, I think I, I the size. There. I, I think the size uh, element comes into play. I know I, I'm not even sure that I, I'm convinced about the separation of true giants from Sasquatch. I'm, I, you know, to me, if you're, it, it's like the old saying: if you hear hoof beats, think horses, not zebras. I think if there are some out there that are as big as being reported, I think they're just member. I think they're members of the same species. I don't <laughs> think it's a separate thing. And and. Um, you know, Gigantopithecus, if you look at the reconstruction based on the jawbone by Grover Krantz, which is the largest uh, fossil specimen that, that we know exists, that was an animal that they suggest grew up, you know, maxed out at about nine feet, which is pretty huge, you know. And so yeah. I, I I just don't see something like Paranthropus uh, and others yeah. that have been – Neanderthals were not large like Sasquatch has described. They were yeah. very short. They were much bulkier than, than modern humans. Right. No doubt, but I just don't think they fit the bill. I think, especially if you you believe the Patterson film is real, which I do, um, I think you're looking at an ape, something that's basically, if you want to put it in the simplest form, an upright walking gorilla. Well, well, Lee, one of the arguments a lot of a lot of people will put up, especially the skeptics. <clears throat> we had a great show a couple of weeks ago. We had Ben Ranford on, and you know, uh, we we had a very very uh, civil discussion about bones and finding of bones, and you know, uh, you know, he said, "Well, there's no bones," and I, I turned around. He said, "Well, it took." almost three million years for them to find a jawbone and some teeth of a gigantopithecus. I mean, we don't have any metatarsals, tarsals, you know, any humerus or, or arm bones or anything, or even a vertebrae to to uh, go on with, with a gigantopithecus, and it's been three million years. Well, what I, I think what a lot of people don't understand is fossilization is the exception, not the rule. It right. takes a very highly specialized sequence of events for something to become fossilized and then be found on top of it. Uh, a friend of mine that at the museum out here, the Natural History Museum, told me once, he said everything we know about life on Earth based on the fossil record is like holding up a mosquito and saying this represents everything we know about the insect world. And so, you know, it's not unusual that, I mean, what's interesting to me is there are entire species of animal we'll never know existed on this Earth. Because we will just never find their remains. We'll never find fossilized specimens of them and such. And so, you know, to me that's not unusual at all that we haven't found more, especially in a tropical climate, you know, like uh, Southeast Asia and stuff. Uh, it's even more difficult for, for objects to become fossilized than in, say, um, you know, the, the, the plain states of, of America where they find fossils, you know, all over this, where the inland ocean used to be. Do you think it's possible there may be some bones that may be misidentified? Oh, that's oh, that's absolutely possible. That happens all the time. As a matter of fact, even now they're taking uh, dinosaur species and they're actually eliminating species and, and lumping them in together. For instance, I, I don't know if you've, you're familiar with an animal formerly referred to as Taurosaurus. Uh, basically, it was a species. It was an animal very much like Triceratops, except its skull was much bigger than Triceratops. Hmm. In fact, I believe it's got the largest skull of any land animal to ever exist on Earth. Well, they've recently decided Taurosaurus didn't exist as a separate species. That was a full-grown Triceratops. Wow. 
And so, yeah, just all you have to do is read about paleontology, and you'll hear all the time about misidentified bones and and things like that. So that's that's absolutely very possible, even probable. Very cool. Yeah. Let, let me spit out this uh, call-in number, Steve. Uh, everybody, we're we're on live with uh, Lee Murphy, uh, Arthur, and artist. Uh, call-in number three four seven nine nine six five eight zero zero. Question or comment? That's right. That, that message came from. Chris Bennett, the artist formerly known as Chris Bennett. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I was going to say something about the Nagasaurus uh, being my uh, my uh, ex-wife, but <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, Sadly, I don't believe that species in, is endangered. Uh, uh, well, we'll find her bones a million years from now and say, "Hey, look, it's a Nagasaurus." <laughs> 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 well, let me ask Lee a couple of questions here, Steve. Uh, Lee, in your book, Heretofore Unknown, uh, mm-hmm. that's about the Honey Island Swap Monster legend, mm-hmm. uh, Did you uh, had, uh, when you were doing your research for this, did you ever get to see the Ford film of the creature? No, I did not. Did not? No, you, got, I wasn't to, you got to, to see that? <laughs> I don't know if it's real or not, but they had a. Uh, it was on some show here a while back. Uh, uh, brought that Ford film back up, and it's actually it's, pretty cool. It, it's interesting because there's really so much controversy swirling around that particular phenomenon. Uh, like, for instance, right. were the footprints faked, or, or you know, are right. they alligator footprints, or, or is it something you know completely uh, unknown? I mean, if I were writing fiction, I, and I believe there is something there. I think you know, I think. It's very plausible, but I, if I were writing fiction, I would probably or nonfiction. I'm sorry, I would probably lean more towards a, a splinter group of Sasquatch. Whereas, because I write fiction, um, and I'd already covered the Sasquatch in the first book, to me the Honey Island Swamp Monster was well known and popular enough to 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 basically have its own book, and so right. I made it something yeah. off the beaten path. Okay, you know I I have been down. Uh, I actually was at. Honey Island Swamp for a period of about a month over, you know, sporadically, a combined total of about a month. Mm-hmm. And the uh, first thing that struck me was that there's no honey on Honey Island, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot of... A lot of um, it's been my findings that when I went there that the, the foot tracks, those three-toed foot tracks are either... Uh, misidents of a duke law of an alligator. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of uh, great blue heron there, and they're huge. I mean, just tremendously sized birds. I saw one flying. Literally, it had to have had a six-foot wingspan. And I, I think that if it stood around, it could leave a very similar track as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, then we have the M.K. Davis find of that, that foot with... Uh, Looks like it was made to to, to mimic a duke law. <clears throat> there is no doubt in my mind that that people are seeing something described as a sasquatch, and from one very authentic witness down there we had, and, and we we had to talk to this guy for over a period of several weeks before he kind of warmed up to us, and very clearly said that he had seen the foot of one of these things and it had five toes, just like you know, it looked like a just a bigger version of our foot. Now, you know, for the layman, we know it's a little different. Uh, but um, 
but the story is is that where they were finding all the tracks in the southern end of the swamps, they were actually put there. And the reason why they were put there is because the majority of the sightings were occurring in the northern end of the swamp, closer to the, you know, mainland, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in the 60s and the 70s, and even right now, there are things that happen in those woods that not necessarily people want a bunch of squatch hunters or monster hunters to uncover such as, you know, uh, stills and and uh, growing of uh, exotic plants, if you know what I mean. Right. <laughs> and that's the reason, <laughs> and that was the reason why there was the the push to have it down on the southern end. And that, that made a lot of sense. sense. Made a lot of it sense. It really does. One of the one book I would strongly recommend to people if they're interested in the southern uh southern research on Bigfoot is Chester Moore Jr.'s book. Uh one is called Bigfoot Lives, and uh, the other one is about, specifically about, Bigfoot in the South, and it's called Bigfoot South. <laughs> Sorry, I just looked at the book now. But uh, Bigfoot South is an amazing book because he talks about how there's actually more forest area throughout the South than the Pacific Northwest uh, by by thousands of square miles. And and he makes a real good case for, for the existence there and also for the three-toed footprints that, that he has found and uh of course it's it's explained much better if you just read the book because i'm sitting here babbling like an idiot but um i strongly recommend chester moore uh jr's books they're great for research if you want to look into honey on the swamp monster or just or just the bigfoot legacy in the south he's got it covered extremely well very nice um that that is just so out of um out of all of the the the, the the Bigfoot stories and tales and all the stuff you've heard over the years. What is your favorite one? What is like the one you just love to read about over and over again? Boy, that's tough. I mean, there there are some really cool ones out there. Um, I never get tired of, you know, listening to Bob Gimlin. And what's great about him is, you know, he's been asked about that, <clears throat> excuse me, thousands of times. And, and, each person that I've seen him tell the story to, he 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 talks him like he's telling it the first time, and 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 so that's always very fascinating. I really like the Albert Ostman uh, story. He was the person that was kidnapped in the 1920s and uh, taken to the canyon. There there have been elements of his story that they haven't been able to dispute, and some actually came to jibe with later descriptions uh, people had of Sasquatch years later after what he described and told. And so I, I really like his story a lot too, you know. And and mm-hmm. just um, just probably the older stories before it became such a cultural thing where, where there's so much hoaxing and and out and out lying nowadays, which I I don't understand yeah. the point of doing that because eventually they're found out and they look ridiculous. But um, the old I think the older stories, you know, like you'll get in John Green's book and and others like that are, are most interesting to me. You know, I, I gotta say, uh, very true. I mean, a lot of, I have. Um, uh, you know, a, a couple of books, and uh, one of them is uh, just entitled Bigfoot, and it's written by uh, Dr. John Napier, and uh, right. just a, I mean, just a, a great book with a lot of old stories in it. Um, you know, I have another book uh, called The Abominable Snowmen, and uh, that's written by Eric Norman, and it was uh, published, I believe, in uh, uh, 1967, I believe. 
I mean, before the pre-Patterson Gimlin film, and I have the the original printing. Actually, I'm sorry, it's printed in 1969, and it doesn't cover. Uh, it covers all the stuff uh, over that that was happening. Um, you know, over in uh, Nepal and Russia, and uh, now you know, and they they start to bring it into the Canada and the United States, and just these stories that have been buried for years and tend to go by the wayside. It's just uh, some pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. It really but is. Albert I, I think... Hoffman. <laughs> go ahead, Lee. <laughs> oh no, I was I was, I was just going to say that the I think I think most of the literature, especially written from the fifties and sixties. Uh, it's it's just so well researched, and the and the researchers they didn't have access to anything like the internet. I mean, these were the guys that basically established what so many of us are a part of now. I mean, and and not just right. with Sasquatch, but I mean in in cryptozoology in general. Again, um, I go back to to Roy Mackle, who'd been to Loch Ness uh, several times, investigating investigating there, Africa twice, looking for the uh, Mokeli and Bembi, the dinosaur. That's supposed to be in existence there. Uh, Bernard Kubelman. You know, I would love to go to Loch Ness. I don't know. I, I just love to go there. That's on my agenda, too, but right now Magic 8-Ball says, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's not Magic 8-Ball. It's my bank account, but still. <laughs> One of the, the classic stories of, with Albert Ostman, you know, it, it really it's, it's truly an incredible account, but one of the things that I really, really like about it is uh, Mr. Ostman, I, I don't think, ever made a dime from telling his story. That's it's probably not like he true. promoted it and, you know, it wasn't a movie of the week or true. anything. I don't and, of course, think, but, uh, I don't think. and that was a, a time, that was, you know, pre, you know, uh, Bigfoot, you know, as far as becoming any kind of mainstream, iconic uh, cultural thing at all, you know, I mean, he just told a story about the unusual situation that happened to him, and, you know, that's, that's what, and again, going back to what we are talking about, that's, to me, that's much more fascinating, because now, with the internet, everything, and, and Photoshop, and everything, you know, I mean, automatically, you see a picture, and, and it's instantly assumed that it's, it's a hoax. Yeah, uh, and nowadays, we would, but, you know, back then, I mean, it was, it was, uh, you know what I find a very uh, one of my favorite stories is the Ruby Creek story, um, with the, the Chapman House and uh, how the family and kids had. had uh, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that story at all. Uh, no, I'm not. That was a story that that came out, and uh, John, I believe John Green put it out there. It was a Canadian family, British Columbia. Just a, just a, a, a great story it happened in, I want to say, the mid to late forties. <clears throat> and it was a, a, a mother putting, you know, it's outside doing the laundry, um, you know, hanging up the laundry in the children's spot. Uh, this hairy thing walking out of the woods, and you know, they see it, and it's it's standing there in the edge of the woods or whatever. And she tries hiding the kids, and she makes a big shuffle, um, you know, makes a shuffle to the uh, to the neighbor's house. Uh, the father comes home not knowing where the family is to find the cabin in shambles. Something had ransacked the cabin, and uh, there was tracks found, you know, uh, in these large, you know, of course, five-toed foot tracks, and just a, a really good story. So if you're not familiar with it, you know, look it up. It's a, it's a great, it's a great read. That's all right. That's cool. And, that was uh, Ruby Creek. I'm writing this down. Ruby. Creek. Yeah, Ruby Ruby Creek. Uh, 
AKA, uh, you know, the, the Chapman cabin. Um, and I believe John Green actually had some pictures of the cabin many years later. Uh, very tragically, the, the Chapman children eventually all ended up dying many years later. And, you know, they're, they're a very interesting story. I think Mrs. Chapman had, had some Native American, um, um, background and what, you know, so it was just a really good, good, uh, old story to read. Um, you know, then of course there's, you know, there, there's, you know, much, muck a lot, Harry, I believe I'm pronouncing that. Um, you know, that's the uh, gentleman the same year, uh, Ostman got, <clears throat> you know, uh, claims to have been kidnapped. Uh, the same thing, similar thing happened to muck a lot, Harry, who ended up, uh, being on uh, an island out in the British Columbia, where he said that there was like thirty of these creatures, and wow. you know he he got uh, he got rescued by a missionary. Actually, they found them adrift on the river, and the missionaries pulled them in and told them this story, and that's how the story was was. Uh, so another very interesting tale, um, you know, dating even the pre-thirties. So it and they are fascinating because because you'll like see newspaper accounts from back then, and they'll describe. Uh, gorilla scene or wherever, and you know, I mean, they're not trying to make a mystery out of it. They're saying these guys saw a gorilla in their camp, and you know, he came walking over and slapped somebody or whatever, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. you know, they just very plainly state it was a gorilla. I mean, I think it was a, you know, they're calling a Sasquatch because there's probably sure. a very similar appearance to a gorilla, or at least you know, vaguely apparent to a gorilla. But, um, you know, in the papers, they weren't saying, what is this thing? They're just saying, there's a gorilla loose here or there. And, mm-hmm. You know, and, and that, that makes it interesting, too, the kind of nonchalance about, you know, there being gorillas. And, or or the thing. wild man was spotted again in, you know. Blah, blah, exactly, blah, blah, blah. yeah. Oh. You know, I uh, I actually collect those old articles when I come across them. And, uh, you know, if I pr- I'd have to buy like six printer cartridges to print them all right now. <laughs> I mean, it's just, there's so many of them that I've gotten over the years at different places. You know, going back as far back as 1818, um, you know, and that that actually was in Sackett Harbor, Sackett's Harbor, New York, and um, and then uh, you know ourselves in in New York, we had our own uh, uh, early 1900 story of old slippery skin. And uh, eventually they all, uh, a posse was formed and they ended up shooting a man of color and blamed Bold Slippery Skin on that guy. Great. Yeah, you know, just to show the the sentiment of the time, you know. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, Let me me get back, uh, let me ask Lee a question, Steve. Go right ahead. (laughs) Because I want to know some stuff about these books now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, Lee, when when you uh, when you write on the subject of Bigfoot, do you do uh, like a research background on sightings and actual info about the creatures before you begin? Oh yeah, as much as I can, as much as I can, because because again, my audience is is people like you and researchers, and that's not to say whether someone will like the book or not, but because that's obviously just a, a matter of preference for per individual. But I like to be able to write something where people like you can suspend disbelief and say, yes, this works. This is correct as we know it, that sort of thing. It's a, a research on, on everything I, I write is extremely important to me. That makes it much more interesting, too, because there, in doing in-depth research, there are things you'll find out that, you know, maybe offhand we don't really know, that, you know, 
interesting little facts and things here and there that make something far more interesting. Yeah, I think that's important too because uh, a lot of if you put a lot of stuff on there, the the people that's already in the know will just immediately dismiss it and say, "Well, uh, that's <laughs> exactly yeah." That's ridiculous and also, I mean, if if, if the day something's found. It'd be nice if, in some way, my book's kind of still held up <laughs> instead of having that big bonfire in the backyard. Well, these are done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, in LA, in, in LA, they don't have bonfires. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have tire fires, but that's a different story. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> So Lee, how about this uh, yeah. this book, uh, Blood Eyes, about the chupacabra? Mm-hmm. Are you working on that, or is it out? I I am working on that. It's going a little slow because I've also got um, recently became involved in in developing some some film projects. I'm I'm oh, getting slowly getting into into filmmaking, which I'm right. hoping to expand into much bigger over the next few years. But I am continuing with the book series. And uh, it is the next uh, book in the Kodiak series. It's, it's, it is going to be about the Chupacabras. It's one. It's a, that's kind of a classic case of where they tell you never say never. Because I mean, first of all, I, I really, the, from from the skeptical critical side, I don't believe the Chupacabras exist. I just, to me, it's just not something that's plausible. That's just my own opinion. However, from a fiction standpoint. Um, even that way, I was kind of like, well, it might make you know an interesting short story. My friend uh, Dallas Towner wrote a, a real good novella mm-hmm. on the subject, so I didn't feel I really needed to look into that. But then one day at work, I was getting bombarded with all these ideas, and I thought, crap, I'm going to end up writing a book about this thing after all. And um, <laughs> my intention was to, to write about the Loch Ness Monster next, but again, um, not without going to Scotland first. You know, I, I really, right. I, it, to me, it's very important to go to the areas these things take place. Because then you capture the spirit of the real place. Well, the, the, the chupacabra is next. Boy, there's just so many. Be, uh, uh, there's just so many inside jokes tonight. It's unbelievable. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the chupacabra would be a great subject, though, because I, 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 I think uh, the the press is so hot for anything chupacabra. Uh, some guy shot a a. Uh, a raccoon with mange about uh, 30 miles from here, and I think it made national news here a while back. <laughs> I, I remember seeing that, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going more in line. Yes. yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. It was the Kentucky Chupacabra. Uh, terrible. But, uh, I'm ashamed, I, I'm ashamed I'm going of more that. I'm in, in line with the, uh, the, uh, the Puerto Rican... Uh, South and Central American version, the reptilian kind right. of uh, vision, which again, because fiction, that to me, that's far more interesting. And and I was, right. I came up with an idea for for the animal. I like I like the animals in my stories to be to be plausible. Again, what I used in um, heretofore unknown really would not be the case per se. If if say the Honey Island Swamp Monster were found, it it really would not be what I wrote. But I I think I created a plausible and interesting creature in that that works well. And so I try to keep them plausible and believable. And so I'm doing that with the chupacabras, which I, I don't want to go into too much right now until I get the story completed. Right. But I, I think it'll be an interesting animal. I think that it's something that will hold its own in the series oh, cool. rather well. Cool. Sounds good. And if anybody is interested, that's the, the Kodiak Books series and author Lee Murphy. You can find it on Amazon.com. Is that correct, Lee? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
and we've got uh, where 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 legends roam. Uh, what is this other one? Nataka. Um, Nataka, mm-hmm. here to, which is here the, the Native American name for uh, those okay. animals. Okay. Heretofore right. unknown, and yep. coming up shortly, maybe <laughs> blood eyes. Very yep. cool. So no, I can't say that on the air. Yeah, <laughs> 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 you know, I was on, I was on a flight. <laughs> I was on a red eye once, and I said, boy, they shouldn't call this the red eye. They should call it the other eye. <laughs> and, and I just... <laughs> I have a terrible habit sometimes of shooting my mouth up before I think. And uh, Don't feel bad. You're in very good company. I happen I, I, to know I, I can fit a size 10 shoe in my mouth quite comfortably. Still <laughs> I learned back in elementary school. Uh, fortunately, it, 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 every once in a while, it comes out with some really hysterical consequences. I mean, I was in a real, <laughs> I, I was in a real quiet movie theater once, and uh, you know, I was with a bunch of friends, and we were on a date, and we were all sitting there, and you know, it was just, it was a full house, and they had an advertisement for that movie, Seven Years in Tibet. Now, I never heard of the movie before, and I'm sitting there, you know, a, a seven years in Tibet. And then the, the trailer goes off, and I just opened my mouth, and everybody in the theater heard it and started rolling on the floor laughing. And I said, that's right, followed by its exciting sequel, Six Days in the Hood. <laughs> and everybody just, <laughs> the whole place is cracked up. <laughs> I was like, oops. <laughs> Of course, there's always the flip side of that, which I know very well. When you say something you think is really funny and you get crickets. <laughs> <laughs> or or you get people looking at you. With You're listening to KSAD. All depressing, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that noise? Like, yes, here's a good question. Uh, Lee, do you have a website? Uh, yes, I do. It's www.kodiakbooks.com. And also, and, if you uh, look, look me up on Facebook, you can see um, some photos yep. from a film shoot we just did for a 15-minute uh, film I'm putting together right now called Dinner Theater, which is a, a home invasion story. And uh, you can see the photos from that on my Facebook page. I, I would have never guessed a home invasion story would have came out of L.A. <laughs> 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 never would have guessed Well, it. it's a toilet, but I call it home. Yeah. Well, in certain parts, yeah. But, uh, I mean, every place. I mean, like I said, the New York squatches, they, they shake you down before they scare you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, Lee, you know, it's going to be very difficult for anybody to feel sorry for you when you're 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 crying about 68. It got down to 68 degrees the other day, you know? <laughs> yep, man. Uh, yeah. Get your coats out, folks. It's going to be 50 tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to admit, I love our Southern California winters. Oh yeah, yeah, correct. A lot of rain, though. <laughs> a lot of rain. What was that? A lot of rain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For if, if it's any consolation, my carpets are filthy. The dogs have been tracking in mud all week. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, you know that uh, that mud really does d- put a damper on the drive-by shootings. Always. <laughs> Always. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, Chris, 
I finally have something other than what you have to. Cause Chris is always picking on me about New York. You know, like it's crime central, and it's true. I have a car. I get a new car twenty six days later, and my window gets broken. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go, go figure, go figure. Yeah. That's all right. I, I, I truthfully believe that Bigfoot will be discovered in New York because sooner or later he's going to get mugged. <laughs> Somebody's going to shake him down. And you know that would be the best thing in the world too. You got all this infighting among researchers and and people. You know, just really going after each other. It would be great if it was discovered by someone like gangbangers. <laughs> Machine gun them. Amen. Look what we got over here. SA. Yeah. And Steve is telling me on the phone, oh, it's really not that bad up here, Chris. You know, he just got a new car. Then three weeks later, his, his window's <laughs> broken open. And what, did he steal your stereo, Steve? Or what? <laughs> That was my, my, yeah. my GPS. <laughs> yeah, your GPS. Oh. But, uh, yeah, I had to get just one more of that, that, that little bonk, bonk, bonk thing in before I I uh, depart here for a month. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I am leaving the show in, in capable hands. and um, Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> you can do it, kid. We believe in you. <laughs> you know, I, I hope while I'm abroad, I don't cause any international incidents. Uh, <laughs> that's my big. That's my biggest fear. Well, I hope you have a great trip. Ah, thanks. Uh, not many people know where I'm going, but I'll be talking about that uh, a little bit, as much as I can talk about it <clears throat> when I come back, because of course I'll have some some details of different things and. Um, you know, it's just going to be an incredible time, and it's going to get me out of the cold weather yep. for a little bit. Well, I don't bit. know. Scotland or wherever it is you're going can be pretty cold. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, uh, Unless you're going it, someplace it, tropical, then you're fine. This is the best I, time I, to I go to someplace tropical, actually. South. Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's right. I'm uh <laughs> We're, we're, we're gonna, I may, I may, uh, I'm gonna have a hard time getting the chupacabra through customs, but we'll see. Oh, Irish guy made a comment. Trust me, Pookie. If you were abroad, that would be news. <laughs> Trust me. Oh, Irish. <laughs> oh no. But um, wow. I mean, time has flown as usual. Um, we got like five minutes left to show. And, well, this um, was great. Thank you both so much. I yeah, had a good I mean, time. I, it's always fun. I mean, it's been a long time since you've been on, and I think the last time you were on the show, I was actually out and unavailable for the show. So Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I was I was somewhere. <laughs> I'm not sure where. <laughs> I was somewhere. You know, I've done shows from the road. I've done shows from the field. And I've done not done shows because I had no place in the field to do the show from. So... Um, and uh, if I can make it to a show when I'm abroad, I will try to Skype in, and um, maybe I can join the show at least for a few minutes. Of course, there is a considerable time difference to where I'm going, so and uh, I ain't saying whether it's yesterday or tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I'm already Steve, you're just, you're just creating all this intrigue about well, you know where you're going here. You know, that's right. Well, if you ever find yourself out in Smell-A-Way, I hope you'll look me up. 
That's right. I certainly will. Um, I, I have actually... <clears throat> I've flown over L.A. once. That was what you? That? that was me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the closest I was to L.A. was Palm Springs. Okay, and, that's a pretty nice area. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they have people to flush Hi. the toilet for you, you know? <laughs> well, literally, that was the only airport that had, like, gardens. I mean, just an incredible airport there. I mean, you actually, the terminals were inside, but they actually had outside areas and gardens and waterfalls. And, yeah, wow. Palm Springs. So. Sounds nice. I think uh, we've got a fenced off area with cattle at the Louisville airport. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had, they, they, they had to close the zoo in, in, in Chris's town because the chicken died. The chicken died, yes. Got to close the Zoom. Well, uh, Lee, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been, as always, it's been fun. Steve, uh, Chris, thank you both. It was great. And uh, please keep in touch. And, uh, folks, it's easy as going to, uh, you know, obviously, uh, KodiakBooks.com or going to Amazon. Just type in the name Lee Murphy and all his books will pop up. Give them a read, please. Um, And, uh, again, thanks so much, uh, Lee, and for Chris and I, uh, well, all we can say is, uh, uh, well, Chris isn't a big football fan. Um, I'm going to root for the underdogs, as I always do in the Super Bowl. Um, (laughs) I'm uh, I'm probably going to be in the field doing research during the Super Bowl. I'm not really that into football. I'm going to be in the bottom of a glass looking at some. I'm going to be in the bottom of a glass looking at some chicken wings. <laughs> so, folks, I uh, we'll we'll catch everybody in a couple of weeks. Everybody, be safe for uh, the next couple of weeks. Uh, God bless y'all, and uh, hey, be safe on Super Bowl Sunday. Don't drink too much. Drive safely, and uh, folks, we'll be all here back here on February thirteenth, and we'll be updating the website and uh, the blog talk page as soon as we line up that guest and. Uh, you know, uh, what can I say? Uh, everybody enjoy some football. <laughs> Folks, on behalf <laughs> everybody have a great night. We'll catch you all next week. Or, no, two weeks. Sorry. Have it. <laughs> <laughs>